Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This, your scripture study class. We are moving through the Book of Mormon this year, and we're called Don't Miss This because we are trying to point out some of the things we think you don't want to miss. The as, best parts. Yeah, the best parts as we move through. We're trying to hit as many verses in each of the chapters as possible. This year, we are divided up. So the whole week has its block, right? So today's First Nephi 11 through 15, and we've divided up 11 through 15 now into different blocks. So we're going to try and do 10 minutes a piece, almost like a 10 minute scripture study per day for those who want to break it up like that or listen to it like that. Or of course you can sit down and listen to all of it, but we're just going to try and break it up by six blocks, five for Monday through Friday and a sixth one for the weekend is sort of how it's divided up. So you'll notice that in, if you're watching in the breaks, a new title comes up and that all that fancy stuff happens. So anyway, so happy you're here. Happy New Year again, <laughs> even though <laughs> we're yeah. well into it. All right. Last time I tried to like be um, add in some of the things we thought you might want to know throughout because we were so excited to get started, started and it ended up being a little bit awkward. So right here at the <laughs> beginning to answer every single question that we're getting at the beginning of the year. If you've been with us for four or five years, however long we are, you are a champion at this. But for those who are new, let's just be really clear quickly about that. One. We have this Mercies of the Lord poster. You download this in the newsletter. You sign up for the newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com. There's teaching tips every week. There's a worksheet download every week in the newsletter. And, and all the stuff we think you might need or whatever, we put it in the newsletter. It's our main form of communication. So this is in there to download. And we are keeping track of the Mercies of the Lord throughout the year on this poster that you can hang up for a class or in your house and talk about and watch. It's a timeline of the Book of Mormon, but it's following God's story in the Book of Mormon, essentially. So one thing that we see that he does every week, we're hoping it helps us notice his hand a little bit more in our own story. So that's where you get this download. You can print it at any coffee shop. The download is free to you. Um, you have to pay to get it printed wherever you get it printed at. We foam back to this, like Hobby Lobby or Michael's, our version, so that it's a little bit, you know, more sturdy. Um, if you live in Utah County area, Pioneer Party will has some of these already printed up. There's a big piece, a two by three, um, and then there's um, on eight and a half by eleven regular paper. You can print off the weekly thing in color. So when we put that on each lesson, that's what's happening. Okay, so that one's free in the download, and then in the email, I mean that you sign up for at don'tmissthestudy.com. That's our web base, is don'tmissthestudy.com. All the other things that we use, the journal that we um, that you can have for your just personal study. The journal works as like a personal Bible study because it's got five additional questions per week that kind of go with the study. So it's got places for notes and places to keep track of tender mercies on your own in there. But, and, but also like five Bible study questions. Or if you're gathering together with a group of friends each week where you're talking about some of the things that you're learning, you might use those questions. You might use those questions as a teacher or they might just be personal study, okay? So like the journal, the tip-ins, which are back in stock, 
that turn, that we'll talk about gluing into your margins that turn it into a study Book of Mormon. Those, the posters that we'll mention, a word a week poster that you can hang up in your house as you just pass by or it can be your Sunday lesson every single week with your family. And then the Read It, Live It calendar, which has your reading for every single day and then a little way to um, live out something in that reading every single day that you set on your counter or on your nightstand so you just know, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be reading. All of those things are found at Deseret Book. Print off poster in your newsletter, all the rest of the things that we made, that we made essentially because we just wanted to make our scripture study life easier and then we're making available for everybody else. So whatever fits your style and your fancy, however you like to study and teach and all of those things, all the rest of them can be found at Deseret Book. Okay, so this is the schedule that we move through each of our segments on right here. Did I cover everything, That's Grace? It. I'm trying it. to like get all of the... <laughs> you did I'm still it a little out of breath because I'm sick, so <laughs> that was like a marathon for me, practically. So Your you're lungs just got like, a big I don't workout. Really... <laughs> they really did. Oh, one other thing. I just looked down. I was like, remind everybody. And then we have our app. Mm. You can find the app at don'tmissthisstudy.com also. It's a subscription app. It's probably the best value offering that we have. It's got all don't miss this things on it. The videos, the podcasts, the newsletters, any printouts all saved in one easy spot from all previous years also. So the convenience of it. And then it includes a daily scripture study insight. Which is so good. It, it's my favorite part. And I put a lot of work into it also. So, <laughs> That's why it's your so favorite. <laughs> it's like a baby of mine because I put so much in. So for five days a week, there are a couple verses that come from the reading and questions that can be for little kids, medium kids, and teens and adults. So whoever is, you could use it as your personal daily study as a teacher or as a whole family. It just turns scripture study at night or in the morning into a simple discussion is what it is. Okay. So you can find more about that app at don'tmissthisstudy.com. Um, oh, these PD, like the PDFs of whatever's on the board goes in and we're about to add transcripts from every lesson into the app also. Whoa. Yeah. Figuring that out today. I didn't today. even know. Surprise. Yep, working on that today. So that's going to be in there also. So that is our app for those who are new and don't know about that. Okay. Woo. Now, hopefully, <laughs> We have hey, to well, do let me no say this about the app too and dailies. Okay. When I don't know what to plan my lesson, like if I'm stumped on what to teach, that's the first place I go is the dailies. It has so many good things. I A couple years ago, our scripture study was just bonkers. Like it just was, I didn't like it. We were kind of reading some verses. I didn't know what to read because we didn't want to read a whole chapter. We didn't have time or whatever. And so that's why we created it as a way to help my own family scripture study turn into a mini discussion. I love it. It's so easy. In the daily section now, if you've been using it for a while, there's a section in it called This Week so that you don't have to go digging for it or not that it was that much digging, but <laughs> it's just even more convenient to say, all right, pull up This Week, whatever night it is. Um, last night we did our study about leaving Jerusalem and how hard that was for the family and what that might, what it, how some things are hard to when the Lord asks you to obey. And anyways, it's just kind of an app applicable discussion in there. So it's cool. I think it's super cool. And you're really going to like it. Okay. Now? So 
That's all the things for the beginning of the year to catch you all up. Now let's jump into the lesson, shall we? We can't wait. Okay. All right. Day one of our reading is 1 Nephi 11. And what's going to happen in the whole first, chapter? The whole chapter. Everything. All the verses. And what's going to happen in 1 Nephi 11 is Nephi has heard from his dad about a huge dream that he had that was like this beautiful piece of revelation for his dad, Lehi. And then all of a sudden, verse um, number one in chapter 11 is Nephi having this moment that he's like, wait, I actually want to figure this out. Like what my dad experienced, I want to have something similar. He says, I desire to know the things that my father had seen. And then it's so fascinating to me that he says, and then he sits down and he's going to ask God. He's like, please make this known unto me. And it was as he sat pondering in his heart. Whoa. (laughs) As he sat pondering in his heart, that that is when actually the Lord entered into his story. It was a moment of silence. He said, okay, let me figure this out. And then all of a sudden God said, okay, here we go. Let me show you what your dad saw. And all of a sudden he's going to get taken up into an exceedingly high mountain, which he had never before seen. And the spirit is going to say, what do you desire? What do you want? And pause. A phrase I have underlined in that first verse is, I had never before seen upon which I had never before set my foot and then just wrote, that God takes you to places you've never been and will show you things that you've never seen. Just like a little side. So good. I love marking so, so that good. in that verse one. Sorry, interrupt. Nope, go ahead. nope. That was really good. Um, and then he's going to go up and Nephi's just going to say, his answer is so simple. I just want to see the things which my dad saw. Whatever he saw, I want to see it. I want to figure it out. I want to have my own experience. I don't want to live off of what he's telling me. I actually want to experience this for myself. And instantly the Spirit's like, yeah, Nephi, you got it. Like, you're blessed for wanting that. Let me help you figure this out on mm, your own. Mm. You don't just have to live off someone else's word. Word. Let's actually experience it. And what's going to happen is it's going to start. And it's so cute because it's like Lehi had his dream, and now Nephi is going to have a similar dream, except for he's going to have, like, a tour guide through the whole entire thing. And he's going to be, okay, let's walk this through. If you have questions, I'm your guy. Let's figure this out together. And it's going to start, and the tour guide always is going to just be like, look, I am going to show you. I will show you where to look. I will help you find the important things to see. And it starts out in verse 8, and it says, look. And Nephi looks and he sees a tree, which is so tender because it must have been so comforting that he's like, oh, I'm seeing what my dad saw. I really am figuring this out with him. And he looks and he sees the tree and it's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And it's so white and so bright. And then all of a sudden he starts realizing, okay, I... this is the most precious thing I've ever seen. Like this is the most precious thing ever. And he says, now I want to know the interpretation. I need you to help me figure this out. I see it. Help me understand it. And it's, oh yeah. I want to just say that's interesting in verse 10. There it is again, that question, what desirest thou? And I don't know if it happens more than just twice because there it is in verse two. And then again in verse 10, I think I would underline those. And it makes, every time there's a question in scripture, what my immediate response is to stop and see if I can answer it. And sometimes you can't, like last time. Why are you beating your brother? <laughs> like, I mean, for some of you, maybe that's like an appropriate question. But here, this, this would be a great time to stop in scripture. And I mean, what if it says grace? What, what if the spirit is saying, grace, what desirest thou? What, what do you actually want? Yeah. And what a great, what a great um, exercise to stop and just say, wait, Nephi really wanted to see the vision. 
I guess I was wondering the other day, I was like, do I want to see the vision of the tree of life? I mean, it feels easy to say yes. Like, yeah, but like, do I really? What, what do and if you, I And if the spirit was going to ask you, like out of everything, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What's going to be your answer? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a, that, that's a deep soul kind of question. It gets into, there's a really, there's easy answers to that. that can roll off the tongue, things that you're supposed to want. But what a great moment to pause and think, what do I genuinely want? And I love that it's giving us permission to actually share not just what we feel like we want to, like what we feel like we need to say that we want, but all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually God wants to know what you want. Yeah. He's giving you permission to dream and to hope and to Mm, ask for things, mm, mm. you know? Yeah, what a cool thought. The, the fact that he's asking it shows you how interested it is. And it's almost an encouragement from the Lord to dream, to hope, to want. Tell me things. what you're wanting. Mm-hmm. Tell me right now in your life, what do you want? It's also making me think of when they're in the boat and, and Jesus asked the disciples, what are you scared of? I love finding moments in scripture where God wants to engage in conversation. That's a back and forth relationship. Uh, um, I'm okay if God wants to just be the director and the dictator and the king of my life. I trust him with it. It's pretty tender to see that he wants to engage in. um, What are you thinking? What are you afraid of? What is it that you're wanting? Where do you want to go next? It makes him more of a dad and less of a boss. Yeah. Which is so powerful to me. All right. Sorry. I interrupted again. but We feel fine about it. I was cool that it came up twice. Yeah. And then what's going to happen is the angel is going to start explaining it to him in a way that might have began to be confusing. And what starts happening right now is he starts showing him different things. He says, look. And all of a sudden, in verse 13, he's going to see the great city of Jerusalem, something that he would have been familiar with. And then he's going to see the city of Nazareth. And I wonder if that moment he was like, what on earth does this have to do with the tree? Yeah. Like, I am so confused why you're showing me Jerusalem. Why are you showing Nazareth? Like, what is happening here? And you only start to figure this out when you know the end of the story. Nephi didn't yet. Like he just saw Jerusalem and Nazareth. And he's like, okay, what's going on now? And then all of a sudden he's going to see Mary, a virgin, and she was exceedingly fair and white. And it came to pass that I saw the heavens open. And an angel came down and stood before me. And he said unto me, Nephi, what beholdest thou? And I said unto him, a virgin, the most beautiful and fair among all other virgins. And he said to me, knowest thou the condescension of God? Condescension is kind of a big word, so you kind of have to unpack that for a second. And once you get to know it, it actually becomes one of the most tender words in all of Scripture, I think. Mm. Because condescension is actually the ability of God to get on our level. It's our word of the week. I'm skipping this, everyone. I'm coming back to it. Don't worry. Um, It's our word of the week. And I love what the 1828 Dictionary says about it. Because it's a voluntary descent from rank. And then all of a sudden you start realizing, he's saying, do you understand what Jesus actually did? Because this guy, Jesus, actually left the throne of God to come to earth for you. Hmm. He got down on your level. He decided to lower his life. He said, no, actually, let me give this up for a minute and get on your level. And Nazareth wasn't the only time that he did that. The manger wasn't the first time and it wasn't the last time. Like you just, that's how he lived, Mm -hmm. you know? And And I was going to say, this is also our tender mercy for the week. And um, these pictures are so pretty, by the way, if you're watching, you can just see them, but you've probably already downloaded them. They're so good. But the tender mercy is that God came down. And like you're about to teach and show in the chapter, yes, for Christmas, he came down 
but it, it was a pattern of the way that he is. And another word that other faith traditions use um, when they talk about condescension is incarnation, where God became flesh is essentially what they teach and, and say. And we may differ in some of our beliefs about the Trinity and the nature of, of God and the Godhead. But the concept is is similar, and we can and and the same, and it's this idea that he's really a eternal, omnipotent, omniscient God is difficult to connect with, but we can find it easier to connect with Jesus because you came you came to the earth, you were born as a baby, you lived a life, you ate bread, you drank, you walked roads, and and it. It, it's um, it's God coming to meet us where we are on this earth, and it it helps us to connect with Him. It helps us to have relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because it's oh, you're tangible. I I can find where you lived on a map. I I you you've been through the experiences that I've been through. So there's a, a really it's a, it's a powerful way that God connects, shows how interested he is in being in relationship with us. And it's something that I think sometimes is a little bit hard to understand, which Nephi even was on the same page with. Yeah. And his next line is, listen, I know that he loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. Hmm. He's like, yeah, I get, I know that he loves me, but there's some things that I'm still confused about. And I think that's when this chapter changes for me is that all of a sudden, I think the angel started realizing, let me get on your level, which is kind of funny that all of a sudden he's like, I am actually going to show you what love looks like. And it looks a lot like condescension. Hmm. This whole chapter is about the angel showing Nephi what love looks like. At the front of like on my chapter 11 heading, I actually have written, um, I like write the word look and then I say, let me show you what love looks like. And then you're going to start seeing that the angel keeps saying, look, I want you to see this. And after every time he says the word look, I actually started realizing that he is showing you a picture of love. Every single time he does it, you get to see what love looked like. And it starts in verse 19. You can go back to the other two looks and it also is going to be applicable. But starting in verse 19, he's going to say, look. And all of a sudden he sees Mary bearing a child in her arms. And the angel said unto me, behold, the lamb of God. Yet even the son of the eternal father, knowest thou the meaning of the tree which thy father saw? And I answered him saying, yeah, it's the love of God. I get it now. That is the love of God. The tree, that is a picture of love. Nazareth, that's a picture of love. Mary, that's a picture of love. You know what that is? That is actually the condescension. And that's the worksheet for this week. We have three different spots because what's about to happen is the angel's going to take him on a tour through Jesus's life. And he's going to start in Bethlehem in the manger, which is also one of the very first places that you see the condescension. And in my head, I just instantly match that with condescension means he loves me. I can see both of those two things together. And so our worksheet this week has three different spots. It's gonna have a little manger, it's gonna have a little heart, and it's gonna have a little cross. And what's gonna happen is it's gonna follow the pattern of this chapter and start with the manger and go through his ministry and end with the crucifixion and the resurrection. 
And it's just three different spots that you can see Jesus getting on our level. And you might want to write the verses that he explains this. You might want to write what it looked like. What is condescension in each of these three things? And how does it look differently? Because it's going to look different in all three places. Yeah, and use your imagination too. So for this first column, what did condescension look like in his birth? Now, he doesn't go through and talk specifically, but you and I know this because we have the New Testament. So we can fill in some of the the blanks here in our own mind. Nazareth is one of the smallest towns, the poorest family, born in a cave, in a stable. We just celebrate that at Christmas. Like, go through and write down all of the details of what, what what did condescension look like? What did Jesus coming down look like in his birth story? And then you can do the same kind of thing in the other columns. Like he gets a, a vision of his life, but we've re- we just read his life. And so we can fill in some of the, the blanks there. And I just, every time I read the Christmas story for as one example, P.S., I think it takes your imagination to figure out how Nephi knew that's what the tree meant. Because he says, What's, what do you want to know? And he says, I want to know what the tree means. And then he says, okay, look. And he sees Nazareth and he sees Mary. And then he sees the Christmas manger scene and with the baby in her arms. And then he says, what's the tree mean? And Nephi says, oh, it's the love of God. I get it. And I used to like think, how did you make that jump? Where did you, you know, I know that the tree means love of God because of first Nephi 11, but I would have gotten it right too. But I was like, how did you figure that out until, and I wondered until I watched it in my mind and I saw the shepherds and I saw the straw and I saw the manger and I saw that couple and I saw the God of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe laying in a, in a feeding trough. And when I saw it, then I knew how Nephi could say, that's a picture of love. That's, that was a picture of someone who gave up so much so that you would feel a part of the story that even if you feel like you live in a barnyard of a life, that you would feel invited, that you would feel connected to this story. And so we have this advantage of the New Testament on our side when we read the Book of Mormon here to be able to picture and see these these scenes and and fill in, yes, the verses that are there, but use your imagination and fill in some of the blanks. And what would that have meant then? And I can't help, in my scriptures, I have circled all the words look and what comes <laughs> after because for real, what's going to happen is you are going to get a tour into what love looks like. And you see it in the beginning. Love actually looks like, in verse 19, love looks like the savior of the world, the king of kings, the prince, like prince of peace, leaving his throne and deciding to be born in a manger. That's love. Love looks like that. You know what else love looks like? In number verse number 24, love actually looks like someone who's willing to go forth among his people. He did not want to be separated from them. He actually wanted to be in the middle mm. of them. Mm. That is what love looks like. You want to know what love looks like? I want to say this, that phrase, I just marked it in my scriptures, going forth. Yeah. Because a king usually sits on the throne and waits for you to approach him. And what a different king we have. Not one that waits for you to come to him, one that left the throne room to go looking for you. Mm. That's beautiful. Super cool. 
And then you get to verse 26. Look, and he says, this is still the condescension. Hmm. You're going to see the Savior of the world be baptized, not because he had sins and he needed to be cleansed, but actually to be an example for you. He wanted to live the life you're going to live. That is love. Love is living a life like that. Do you know what love is? Love is verse number 28, ministering unto the people. He spent every single day, he said, let me fill up my calendar with your guys' names. That Mm. is what love looks like. You Mm. keep going down and it's love looks like people gathering together just to be in his presence. You only do that for someone that you cannot help but just be so endeared to. Verse number 30, look, you are going to see angels descending among the children of men and they did minister unto them. Do you know what love looks like? Love looks like angels entering into your story. That is love. You know what love looks like in verse number 31? Love looks like the Lamb of God going forth among the children of men. The sick ones, the afflicted ones, the diseased ones, the ones with devils and unclean spirits. He was getting on their level. He said, let me actually show you that I am not afraid of the mess and the problems and the circumstances that other people run from. I will get in the middle of it and I will heal you. Love looks like healing. You keep going. Love looks like this moment when everyone betrayed him and he still chose us. He was taken by the people, the very people that he served and blessed. He was taken by them and lifted up upon the cross and slain for the sins of the world. That is what love looks like. That is getting on our level. This is a picture of love. And you can see it like that, but you can't forget what this actually was. He was seeing the same vision as his dad. And he got the story of Jesus with it. And I can't help but think that maybe the angel knew that he actually needed to know his path, Jesus's path, before he could realize what his was going to look like. Mm. He said, you need someone's path to follow. So let me show you Jesus's so that you know where to go on your path to the tree. It's going to make a lot more sense if you see what he did. Yeah. And it just shows a picture of what tasting the fruit of the tree is. There's one thing to see it in an analogy, to see it in a vision, but just like, oh, it's the very, very best fruit ever. It tasted so good. It was fantastic. And in Nephi's vision, he's getting that, like he's living in the dream. He's showing, this is what it looks like to partake of the fruit. It looks like to be sick and feel like God wouldn't want you or want to come into your story. And he does anyways, and he heals you. There's nothing better than that in all the world. There's no greater love that you can feel than a God who descended from the highest ranks of heaven to come and be in your story, however messy it may be, and to heal it. That is what partaking of the fruit is. That is the tree. That's the love of God. And I am just simply obsessed with the fact that everywhere Nephi looked, he saw love. Hmm. That's the story of Jesus. Yeah. That's what he saw. For this, our next reading section is going to be 1st Levi 12, 1 through 23, the whole chapter. Go one over for me, Grace, would you? Yep. I forgot. And I'm going to jump on that same word that Grace was pointing out in chapter 11, which is look. And you might want to go through chapter 11 and circle every time you see the word look and continue that throughout the vision because you're going to start seeing it in chapter 12 as well. And I, I just, 
uh, I want to circle those words because it feels like that's the role of an angel or a minister in someone in my life. It's so easy to get caught up in just the day-to-day. Like I just do my routine. I go to bed. I do what I'm supposed to do. I fall asleep. I wake up the next day and I do it all again. And uh, heaven's interrupting the normal in this in this section of, of Scripture where the angel is coming in and for all intents and purposes, the Lord is, is interrupting and saying, stop, look, think, wonder, contemplate. And I like that interruption. I like God to come in and interrupt my day to day and say, have you thought about this? Do you see where this is going? Do you like what you are experiencing? And in this, go ahead. I can see your... I love that it's the word look and not like, oh, let me show you. Like, come over here. I love that it's look because that means it's already there. Mm -mm. The revelation, the God in your story, all of it is already there. Just look around. It didn't need to be created. It was just there. Um, In this particular chapter, it's a little bit opposite of 11 because uh, in chapter 11, it's almost as if the angel, the Lord saying to Nephi, look, you can experience the condescension and the love of God. Chapter 12 is almost a description of living out what that mist of darkness that he saw in the vision was. That's also not just a metaphor. That's an actual experience that people have. And so I made here this little list that you, you'll be able to see. I've got, I went through the chapter and I marked what that mist of darkness looks like inside somebody's day-to-day real life. What would they be experiencing? And he has him look and see battle happening. And he's seen his descendants and he's seen the descendants of Laman and Lemuel in verse two. And you see multitudes gathered together to battle one against the other. These are some of the phrases that I am underlying. Wars, rumors of wars, great slaughters among my people. Verse three, I see contentions in the land. Verse four, I see darkness. I see the earth tumbling and renting and breaking up and sinking and burning. And it's almost as if the earth is um, personifying or or is um, displaying what's happening within people and their relationships with each other. By the time you're done with chapter 12, you start noticing that the mist of darkness and the temptations of the devil have all have everything to do with ruining relationships between people and their God and people and each other. When you see it as an overview, you start to see, oh, that is the object and the intention of the adversary is to, if life eternal is relationship with the Father and the Son and each other, then the opposite of that, the depths of hell, would be a breaking up of that relationship and the chaos that comes from that. And so you start looking through the whole chapter and you see this is the intention of the devil. This is why he's blinding eyes and hardening hearts so that people are experiencing this. I mean, you've experienced contentions. You've experienced what you would say is broken in your relationships and um, what you've you've felt the angst of being against another person both feeling that hatred for someone else or jealousy or envy but also being a recipient of that as well and you're seeing a description of that where Nephi is seeing it in his own descendants and the descendants of his brothers and he's watching pictures of that play out But then in the chapter you have in verse six, an interruption. 
And the heavens were open, and the Lamb of God descended out of heaven, and he came down, and he showed himself unto them. And he showed love. He showed another way. He showed healing. He showed unity. He showed Zion. And the Holy Ghost fell upon twelve, he saw, who were chosen at the end of verse 8 to minister unto thy seed. And I've underlined that phrase. I think it's really um, a great invitation for us to ask ourselves if that's what Jesus does, chooses people to minister, then I think he's still doing it. And it made me want to ask myself while reading this chapter, who has he chosen me to minister to? And um, just as a side, almost this seems to be the healing of whatever was going wrong. Everything that was happening, the contention and the one against and the wars and and, and the solution seems to be reach out and minister and heal relationships with people. Well, and it's so interesting to me because in verse five, it says he saw multitudes who had not fallen. And the word fallen is really interesting to me because it's not intentional. No one intentionally falls down. Like it's something that happens that gets you on the ground. And I love that the solution to people, if people didn't fall, that means there were some that did fall. And there's something so powerful to me about the fact that he chose people to minister. And I can't help but just imagine people that would pick you up when you'd fallen down. People that would reach their hands out. That's what their job was, to steady you, to pick you back up. You know? Mm, Yeah. Lots of things are going to try to get you down. And then all of a sudden he's like, no, no, no. Let me give you people that will help you up. Right. So what we're seeing here is, if you've read the entire Book of Mormon, so in chap- next to verse 6, you might want to write Third Nephi 11. That's a scene when Jesus comes into the, into the story, and, he, and, and it's like the, like the pinnacle of the entire book. But it's interesting to see a vision of so many generations laid out in a long period of time. Because the same kind of thing happens within a lifetime as well, or within a week, or within a day. That the day could start off looking like this, looking like wars and rumors and one against each other. And then Jesus can come into the story, and instead there can be ministering, and there can be holding of hands and lifting up. And then after that, again, they fall back into the other, and it just shows you there is an option. There's this, you can either live chapter 11 and the story of love, or you can live in the midst of darkness and, and in the contentions and, and all of those things. And again, in verse 11, look, I just like that. I just like for the angel to stop my day to day and say, look, which one are you living in? Which story are you living out? You can be at the tree. You can be experiencing the fruit of the tree and the love of God or you can be in these other places. You're, and it just is neat to see it um, in someone else's span of story. And then, then I think it makes it easier maybe to see it in mine. For sure. Um, I also love that Nephi's seen this whole vision of so many generations of people passing because it's just another reminder that God is in the long game with people. Like He's going to be there in your day to day but the decisions that you're making will also have generational impact. And he's been making decisions generations in the past to impact you today. And I, and I think there's something neat about pausing for a second and seeing that God is a generational God. He's a day-to-day, everyday God, but he also is, um, you, you know, he's, he's in the big, long story as much as he is in my everyday also. 
So I just like then that you see that, you know, six through 11 or 12, a little break of what things could be. And you see great miracles, you see ministering, you see their garments are made white in the blood of Jesus. And I like that it's like, look, it happened for them and it happened for them. It happened over in the old world, it happened in the new world, and it just makes me think, and then it can happen in my world. When, when I'm seeing it here and I'm seeing it here, it just automatically makes me think, oh, then you can probably see it uh, um, in yours as well. So he sees that whole fourth Nephi, if you've read the Book of Mormon, the peace and the unity that comes, and then the breaking up of it again. And he's just, look, you, you can have either of these experiences. That's what the depths of hell are in verse 16. The things that, the temptations of the devil that blind your eyes and harden your hearts, they turn you against people. The, um, yes, uh, there are some things that you would describe as hell on earth, an earthquake, um, bankruptcy, or whatever, but the, the depths of hell are involved when there is a breakup in relationship and in families and in friendships and in neighborhoods or nation against nation. Those are the things that really are the hard parts of life. And it seems to be showing us that. Which I think is so interesting that that is something that is applicable to everyone no matter when you were alive. Yeah. That it's all of a sudden like, wait, this could be talking about who knows when, right. but also it's right now. Yeah. That's always happening. Right, right. I just want to point out verse 18 also, where he's just showing that, that large building, the vain imaginations, the pride of the children of men, the terrible gulf, which, you know, all of those things that he's showing in the vision. But then he also says, and then a vision of the Messiah, who's the Lamb of God, who the Holy Ghost beareth record of from the beginning of the world, even until this time, and from this time, henceforth and forever that the solution to the gulf and the misery and the depths of hell and the blindness is going to be the Messiah. That, and the Holy Spirit will bear record and bring it up in the past, in the present, and in the future. It will all, there will always be a way out of this, out of the building, out of the gulf, and out of the midst. And it ends sad with these people who are dwindling in unbelief. And that's a phrase that I have underlined, not because I, I like it, but because it makes me want to think about the opposite. I like in the read it, live it, just this the idea of there could be times in your life where you'll find reasons not to believe, to create contention, to be idle, to war. Don't dwindle there. Don't stay there. Let someone point it out to you, an angel. Look, look at what things could be uh, and and don't stay in that place. And it makes me wonder like, then what should I believe? When he says, don't dwindle in unbelief, then it, it ends and makes me want, it makes me want to go back to 11 and say, then show me what to believe about God, about what he can do in my life, about, about people. I just really like the stop at the end of that chapter to think, I don't want to dwindle in unbelief. So teach me what to believe. 
Teach me what to like yearn for and look for. I just went to a little conference, a Christian conference, and I heard someone speak and they talked about, um, they were a pastor at a church that had this huge, like people began to call it a revival, but it was this moment like there, it was a church on a college campus and all of these people started to get really passionate about God on their college campus all at once. And it was like this really exciting thing. And someone was asking them, how did you get that to happen? How did you bring that life back into these people? How did you get them to have this experience? with God and it was so interesting because what he said is he said people needed to remember that they needed to linger in God's love Hmm. and instantly when I heard dwindle in unbelief you thought of the opposite I thought of the exact opposite and it's lingering in God's love Hmm. and it just makes me want to stop and think where am I letting myself linger where am I letting myself dwindle and is it in the unbelieving thoughts or is it in the moments of love with God yeah you can choose either one. Right. And that seems to be the, the theme, I would say, of this section of scripture. Yes. And I'm just kind of putting that together right now because we're going to get to two churches and we're going to see two. And it's the theme of the vision of the tree of life, right? You can either be in here lingering at the tree or you can be dwindling in the unbelief of the building. And the good news is um, what you saw in 12 with it moving back and forth, back and forth, the good news is you, you don't have to stay and neither does anybody else. The fact that it started this way, moved here and then moved again, lets me know you can move from the place that you are. You don't have to dwindle in unbelief. You can choose to linger in love. Mm. And, and, and I am here to say and to testify that God will make it easy to leave the building. He will provide the path out for those who desire to leave it and not dwindle there. Beautiful. Our next day's reading is 1 Nephi 13, verses 1 through 28. And David kind of mentioned this previously, but we believe in a God that really does show up in the day-to-day. But the thrilling part about God is He's not just present in the day-to-day, but He's also a God of the big picture. Hmm. And this is a moment that Nephi really does actually get a big picture look. And what's going to happen is the first few verses, like verses 1 through 10, are going to be talking about a church. We're going to talk about that in in chapter 14, so don't worry, we're not forgetting about it. We're just moving it because it matches really good with um, that chapter. Mm, So I'm going to start in verse like 12 right there. What's going to happen is this is going to be the beginning of Nephi seeing a big picture God. Well, and in addition to that, maybe point out, let's just point out one and two where he says, I looked and I beheld many nations and many kingdoms. And it's not the emphasis of those verses, but they do show what you're saying, which is God is involved in your story, but he's also involved in the many nations and the many kingdoms and the many generations of time also. Yes. Something, it just goes really fast, but circle that and and make sure you see that he is going to be involved every place you can imagine. You know, can I just throw the story in real quick that I was in China once, (laughs) like you do. (laughs) It sounded like I was at Costco. Um, And I was in the city that rarely sees Americans and I was walking through it and I had had a conversation with several different people that day about their um, faith and so many different of them said, I don't believe in God. And it just, as I was looking at that big, vast, I mean, millions of people literally. And I thought I just just very, very small percentage of them have know anything in this book. They don't know or, or or Christianity or God or, or whatever. And I, and I, it was overwhelming me to imagine that many people. And that's not even the whole globe. 
and having this significant experience where God whispered to me, I will take care of all my children. And, and what, and I've held on to that truth ever since. And I see that in verses one and two. Again, it's a reminder of that. There are many nations and there are many kingdoms and God is involved in every single one of them. And for all time. Right. He's never not been involved. And I think that or must have been... Be. He will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that must have been one of the most thrilling things for Nephi to learn in this chapter is that God is involved in my life right now, but God is never going to stop being involved in the, his kids' lives. Mm. Because what's going to happen is it's going to be like going to be a history lesson for us and like a sneak peek into the future for Nephi. And he's going to go through and um, he's going to see a lot of different events happening. And we kind of made a list right here. You might want to go through in your scriptures and just like mark what you see. And you can take parts of our list. You're going to start seeing like in verse number 11, it's going to talk about um, the seed of his brethren, which would have been referring to like his brother's posterity and their whole line, all of that. And yeah, you the might, people when the book ends. Yes. Right? Wherever, whoever that is or wherever they are, they yeah. continue on after the last page. Yes. And, and they're going to have a story. And in like four weeks, you might forget that that even happened. So if I, like in my scriptures in the margins, I just write all of these things. So when I go back, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what I studied. This is what I remembered. And he's going to start there and he's going to be like, okay, let's start with your brother's posterity. You know them. That's easier to like, that's a good beginning point for you. And then he's just going to keep going and going and going. And what's so interesting to me is all of the places he goes, all of the moments in history he goes, you also see the spirit there. Hmm. The spirit falls upon the people. And I think when you read this chapter, it's really important to stop and just think, let me see the evidence of God's power in every single moment leading up to right now. Hmm. Let me see the evidence of him being involved in the story. Because if he's involved in their story, he will be involved in mine. And we have different lists because it goes through and it's going to show some things. It's going to show a man that went forth went forth among, oh, whoa, let me read better. And he went forth upon the many waters, even unto the seed of my brother who in the promised land and the spirit of God was there and he was wrought upon the Gentiles and they went forth out of captivity upon the waters. And some people like we wrote on the board think that that could be Christopher Columbus. And then it goes going to go through and there's going to be other explorers and pilgrims maybe in verse 13. And you can write that in your margins, all of the stuff that we have. And there's going to be this moment that's like, wait, actually the spirit has been involved in history. Yeah, we uh, are they these particular stories? I don't know. We're not yeah. gonna we're not gonna bet our houses on it or anything. Yeah. But the point you're making, which I think is so awesome, is whether it's this it's talking about this particular part of history or not, doesn't matter as much as the truth is that God's involved in the history of this world. Yes. And I love that for us right now, we look back on history and it's pretty messy. No matter what history you look at, there's a lot of mess in history. And I love that even if just for a moment, the spirit has been involved. God has made part. He's like, listen, I am aware of everything that's going on and there's going to be mess mostly because humans are humans and we're going to make human choices. Yeah. And that's just true about mortality. But I love that even if just for a moment, God has been involved in the story. And thank God he has been. Yeah. Right. Because if we're left to our own devices, I mean, you see what happens. Right. Right. It's a disaster. You can see that in chapter 12. Yeah. And, but God keeps interrupting. 
I'm like obsessed with that idea right now that he's going to interrupt the story. That heaven is going to interrupt the story of mortality. Over again, and, and over again, and, and again. over again. <laughs> yeah. Which is so cool. And it gets to the point, he's going to go through all of these things. And even... Why, like you get to verse 20 and it's going to say, um, I beheld these, they did prosper in the land and I beheld a book and it was carried forth among them. You could refer to this as the Bible. It's going to go through and it's going to say that it was a book that held the record of the Jews, which contains the covenants of the Lord and the prophecies of holy prophets. And then all of a sudden you start making these connections that, okay, now we have the Bible and then it's going to go through. And just like history in and of itself, there's going to be moments when things get messed up. And it's going to get complicated. And it's not always going to go exactly how you had imagined it. History, textbook history that we read about, the history of our lives and the history of the Bible and everything. You're going to see things that get really messy. But I think that the coolest part of chapter 13 for me is over and over you see the spirit enter into the story. Hmm. And I think that when you study this, you can go through and you can think about regular history and it's going to be great and you can highlight all these things and you can make the notes in your margins and I think it could be a really good study. But I think what has been a more impactful study for me is actually taking a moment and thinking, when has the spirit interrupted my story? Hmm. When has the Spirit been like, hey, let's actually make a different decision here. Let's go this way. How has my life been impacted? Because God actually wanted to interrupt me and make my story better. That's what happens in, in chapter 13. And in my story and in history, there is messes and problems and mistakes left and right. But God didn't give up on anyone's story. And he never decided to stop caring about the story of the world. He actually continually over and over and over says, yeah, there's going to be mess throughout the whole entire thing. But yeah. no matter what, I'm going to enter in and I'm going to make sure you know that I am your God and you are my kid. And the next reading, which is the second half of the chapter, chapter 13, then 29 through 42, it's all one long story. I keep thinking the line that history is his story. Me too. And I almost kept saying it. <laughs> With the word, it's so lucky in English. I want to go through the chapter and just circle and underline the parts where he interrupts in the story. Uh, the fact in verse 20, you're pointing out the fact that a book was created and made that would contain the covenants and the character of, of God, which you see in 23. Um, things that are of, in verse 23, of great worth. Then you see in verse 26 that um, there will be some, the, the devil who will try and take away things that are plain and precious and many covenants of the Lord to be taken uh, away. That mist of darkness, blinded eyes, um, your path taken off. That is the role and the intention of the devil, which we'll see even more clearly in chapter 14. But even when things are taken away, you see a God who fixes and a God who brings back and a God who restores. So verse 29, after these plain and precious things were taken away, it would go forth among the Gentiles, talking about this record, and across the many waters. And because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out of that book, which were plain unto the understanding of it, um, an exceedingly great many do stumble insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. But God is not going to leave it like that. This is his theme phrase from the entire chapter in verse 33. Wherefore saith the Lamb of God, I will be merciful. You can see that uh, in verse 33 and it's going to come one other time that you're going to find it <laughs> and you're going to mark it. But, uh, or just that phrase, I will, look in verse 35, I will manifest myself. 
uh, end of verse 34, I will bring forth unto them in my own power much of my gospel, which shall be plain and precious. And there it is right up above it. I will be merciful. There is an enemy to our souls. There is an an adversary that's going to try and take things away and cause us to stumble and cause contention. But God will contend against the contention. And you're seeing that in this chapter over, again, a sweeping period of time. So you can expect it in, in in a day's period of time too. Verse 33, I wrote in my margin the theme statement of this. I will be merciful. I will visit the remnant of the house of of Israel. I have visited verse 34. I will bring back plain and precious truths. And in the margins here, you might want to write a God of restoration, a God who visits, a God who manifests himself. And so he says in verse 35, I will manifest myself unto thy seed and they'll write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious. Next to verse 35, write the book of Mormon. What you're holding in your hands is evidence of God trying to fix a problem, trying to restore plain and precious truths that were lost. I, I love the, the little challenge on the Read It, Live It calendar for today. It was like, share a simple truth that is precious to you. Maybe one that it's a cool exercise to think what plain, if you're super familiar with the Book of Mormon already, you might know plain and precious truths that you've learned from this book that you could rattle off. Right now, it's a good exercise to think through what's he, what's he brought back, what's he restored. Verse 36, some of the things he says are my gospel and my rock and my salvation. Consider the truths that you know that put both of your feet and your heart and your beliefs on steady ground. Verse 37, they will be blessed with the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. There will be a promise to be lifted up at the last day. Which is so tender to me that it begins in verse, where is it? Is it 29? When it says like people are going to stumble. Mm. And I love that it ends and says, no, people will actually be lifted up. Connect those two together, 29 and 37. That's so awesome. Saved in the everlasting kingdom of God. Um, And verse 39, he promises other books that will come forth by the power of the Lamb. For Latter-day Saints, we rec- that might, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, continuing revelation. For what reason? It says in 39, for the convincing of the Jews and the remnant of the seed of your brethren and whoever else that, all, that these are true. The last records, for, verse 40, confirm the truth of the first. They make known the plain and precious things which have been taken from them. We believe in a God who says anything plain and precious that has been taken away from you will be restored um, for to every kindred, to every tongue, and to every people, this truth, the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Savior of the world. He will save the mess of this world. And all men, it says must, but I will say can come unto Him and they can be saved. And that's, that seems to be that message of 13, chapter 13. We believe in a God of restoration. That's who we believe in. Mm. And he is the way. He's oh, the one God. Look, yeah. The one shepherd. Right. We just that's love it. Right at the end, 41. One God and one shepherd over all the earth. I will take care of all my children. And the time cometh that he shall manifest himself unto all nations and I would say, and that includes 
unto all peoples in those nations. You, whoever you are listening and or watching, are included in that list. And he may just be one God, but he is big enough for everyone. Yes. Which is so exciting. Um, the last day, oh no, we still have one more. I just yeah. lied to you. The two churches is the next day's reading and it's First Nephi chapter 14. And I'm going to skip around a little bit. So I'm going to walk you through it. You're going to be fine. Okay. Cause I'm not even going to start in verse one. I'm going to start in verse seven. It's going to be okay. Um, because I think that this whole chapter lives in the idea of, are you dwindling in unbelief or are you lingering in God's love? Mm. And you see that start in verse number seven, when all of a sudden it's going to say, for a time cometh, saith the Lamb of God, that I will work. This is important to me, that I love that he clarifies. This is my great and marvelous work. I noticed that early, um, earlier today when reading that in chapter 13, there are several times where it says, Thus saith the Lamb of God. And I appreciate when a prophet wants to speak, and, you know, or, or whatever. But I do, I am starting to pay special notice to when it's a first person from the Lord saying, thus saith the Lamb of God, thus saith the Holy One of Israel, I am doing something. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, and it's so important to me that as he says, it's my work. I will work a great and marvelous work among the children of men. This is mine. I have taken it upon myself. It is a big job. I've got it. Uh, this is this one's on me. And it's so interesting because it's a work that will be everlasting. And then this part. Yeah, the consequences of this will last forever. Yeah, this is a big this is a big deal. This is a big one. Either on one hand or on the other. Which instantly in my head I'm like, what's going on here? That he's saying this is a huge work on one hand or the other. Like let me show you what these two sides look like. Because either it's going to be the convincing of people unto peace and life eternal. He wants to convince us that in reality he is the one that can give us peace and eternal life. That is his work. He's like this is what I am going to die on the cross and I'll be resurrected and I want that to be convincing enough to you that I am enough to give you peace and eternal life. Hmm. That's my work. That's my goal. That's my job. But it's so interesting because that's only one hand. He said, yeah, the cross might actually convince you that I can give you peace and life eternal or unto the deliverance of them to the hardness of their hearts and the blindness of their minds unto their being brought down into captivity. Or maybe you actually are going to let yourself live in captivity. You're going to choose to dwindle in unbelief. You are going to be blinded. Your mind is going to be blinded and you are going to be brought down into captivity. And it's so interesting because chapter 14 really does feel like this moment that he's like, listen, I'm going to offer you two hands. Which one do you want to take? I did the work. Which one are you going to take? And he's going to go down and you see it in verse 10. He's going to say, listen, behold, there are saved two churches only. And for me, I think you got to start thinking a little bit bigger than like our definition of the word church here, because I think in all reality, what he's trying to say, because that's like funny. I'm like, there's not only two churches. I'm like, that's confusing. There's like a hundred million, right? Yeah. And, and Nephi's time, there wouldn't have been like churches to go to, like churches yeah, on every like, corner. Like a building. So, like, it's just like this whole thing. Yeah. But I think there's it's, something in the word church that it's like, wait, actually church represents me and my beliefs. And where my heart is mm. and what I'm dedicating my time to. And I think that is a really powerful way to look at this. Like, okay, there are two places you can dedicate your time to. There are two places that you can put your belief in. There are two places that can win your heart over. 
The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. And for this part, I think you kind of got to go back to chapter 13. Yeah, I told right. you, I didn't forget about it, everyone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, in chapter 13, the first 10 verses are actually just going to lay out what that other church looks like. And if I, if this were me, I would actually just start marking and just list all of them. And because there's a moment for me that I'm like, I have two choices. He already told me, Jesus literally said, you have two choices. This is going to be one of your choices. He's going to lay it out for you. It starts in verse 4. Um, the Gentiles, there will be a formation of a great church. Back and in chapter 13. Yes, right? 13. Yeah. chapter, And then you go to verse 5. This is what I started highlighting. Most abominable above all other churches slayeth the saints of God, tortureth them, bindeth them down, yoketh them with a yoke of iron. I don't even want to imagine. Like I feel like I have like weights upon my back. I cannot imagine a yoke of iron bringing them down into captivity. Yeah. And then this is like, if that didn't like already sway you that like that one's going to be an interesting church to be a part of. Then all of a sudden, verse six, it says, and I saw the devil that he was the founder of it. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, this is getting pretty intense. And then he's going to start saying, I saw gold and silver and silks and scarlets and fine twined linen and all manner of precious clothing. And I saw many harlots. And then all of a sudden you start seeing why maybe this church doesn't like, if you just read the first five verses, you're like, I don't want a part of that anyway. Like, that's like a mess. I'm not, I'm, I'm fine. I know that I don't want that. And then all of a sudden he's like, wait, I'm starting to see where this church might win you over. Because all of a sudden you're going to see in verse eight, he's going to say, those were actually the desires of this church. On one hand, Jesus is saying, does your heart belong to gold? and silver, and silks, and scarlets, and fine twined linen, and all manner of precious clothing. Because I can tell you what the consequence is going to be. It's going to be all of a sudden getting tortured, and captivity, and all of these hard, hard things on your heart. But it might trick you because of those things. Those things might try to win you over. But if you're wondering what this actually looks like, it looks like anyone fighting against the Lamb of God. And that's, uh, President Oaks actually said that somewhere. I don't even remember what talk it is, but he said, if you're wondering what this other church is, it's actually anyone that fights against the Lamb. Yeah, it's which, not actually a church. You can't find it in the yeah, Google. No. Right? It's like any organization, any political, re- religious even, social, whatever it is, the devil has organized his forces to fight against the Lamb of God. Yeah. That's what it is. And then all of it's a sudden, a good, it's a, yeah. It's the chapter simplified into like a good versus evil. That's what yeah. it's been simplified 100%. Into. 100%. And you see it, then all of a sudden you get this church on one hand. And then he says, let me tell you your other hand. Let me tell you the other option. And you start seeing it. It starts in like 1414. 14. So now I go back. You have to flip a few more pages. Chapter 14, verse 14. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, and it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, and they were armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. And the more you go through this chapter, you're actually going to start seeing the evidence of the Lamb of God. And it's actually going to look like being armed with righteousness, which I think is interesting that... The lamb, the church of the lamb is actually going to prepare you for a fight because that's what it's going to feel like. 
There are people fighting for your heart. These two churches are going to fight for your heart. And the church of the Lamb of God says, let me get you ready for the fight. And it's actually not going to be with weapons. It's going to be with righteousness. That is going to keep you safe. You will be protected in this church. And you will be given power of God in great glory, which is just a thrill to me. And then all of a sudden you keep going and you're going to find the work of the Father. He's going to be everywhere. It says that it's going to be all across the whole entire earth. The Father is going to work for you in verse 17. Then at that day, the work of the Father shall commence in preparing the way for the fulfilling of his covenant, which he hath made to his people who are the house of Israel. The Father is working for this church. He's working for your heart. He is actually fighting for you. That's the choice in chapter 14. And I love, President Nelson actually in his talk, Hear Him, he talks about chapter 14, 1 Nephi 14, and he talks about verse 14. And it's that moment that it's like, listen, let me tell you what's happening to the people who choose the Lamb of God. And he says, I wrote it in my margins. We have a front row seat to witness live what Nephi only saw in a vision. Mm. And I think that is the thrill of chapter 14 is, yeah, you could be a little bit nervous about the choice or you could start realizing that the choice is easy because the lamb is good. The choice is easy because the lamb already took the work upon himself and it was great and marvelous and he will win your heart. And that means we have a front row seat to God being everywhere. We have a front row seat to being armed with righteousness. We get the ability to live having the power of God in great glory. We actually have the front row seat. We get to witness live God working every day in our lives. Yeah. And it's cool that like throughout this um, this vision that Nephi sees, that he sees specific periods of time. And we don't necessarily know what they are. And he sees specific people and we might not be able to like pinpoint who they are, but they are on days in calendars on the globe. And it just gives us that, the essence because of the end of 14, where he just says, this will play out until the last day. And he tells Nephi, that's not your job. It's going to be John the revelator to write out what it looks like in the last day. But we just came from the book of book of revelation, which was a very like dualistic book. It's just like, there is the, the, the lamb and the dragon are fighting against each other. There is the harlot and Zion. There is this church and there is this church. And it's just, there is a battle going on for the souls of men. And, and the choice is laid out for us to, to be a part of that church of the lamb of God, to be armed with power, to like be involved in the work of the father. I just, we learned in the beginning of the chapter, this is what the work of the Father is. And then at the end, we're invited into it. Convince people that their life can have peace, that it can have healing, that it can have wholeness, that they don't have to dwindle in unbelief. They can live in this world in whatever time period, place it may look like. And you can live under the protection and in the thrill and the love of the Father and the Son. Like it just, and, and the very last reading for the weekend is chapter 15. And this is um, anybody who has had an experience where these truths have sunk into their heart and soul and it's lit them on fire and then to leave that and come and see just the drudgery of the, of the world again, the monotony of the earth. And for people that you love who don't seem to care about it, this chapter is for you. You sense that frustration in Nephi when he comes out of this experience when he sees things really clearly and then he interacts with his brothers again who say, 
Um, we don't even know what he was talking about. We don't even know what dad was talking about. And Nephi asks him this question that's like great for every single one of us in verse 8. Have you inquired of the Lord? And he says in, back in verse 3, he spake many great things unto us, you know, but, but they didn't understand because they didn't ask. And you've got this spot in scripture where Nephi is calling through time and anybody who's felt frustrated about this um, it, with other people just saying, just would you take this seriously? Look, don't you see the battle that's happening around you? And, and choose the lamb and choose the covenants of the Lord and see this great thing that he's doing. And as he goes through, he says to them, he gives them this advice and it's advice to all of us in verse 11. If you will just not harden your hearts and ask him in faith, believing that you shall receive with diligence and keeping the commandments, surely these things shall be made known unto you. Surely you will see his hand moving and working. Surely you will see, receive his direction and you will receive his healing and you will receive the promises and you will be a part of this. And he talks to his brothers about just that work of, that God is doing throughout history of, of the house of Israel and, the, and, and him remembering his covenants and grafting people into the story and grafting people into promises and pointing to those covenants. Um, and, and then verse 18, which is what you were talking about with President Nelson, where he said, he says to his brothers, all of this is pointing to the covenants which should be fulfilled in the latter days, which is the covenant the Lord God made to our father Abraham, saying, in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. On one end, um, here's Nephi, however many years ago, 2000 minus 600. Plus 600, whatever, 2,600 <laughs> years ago, saying to his brothers, like, you're a part of this really big, grand story, the story of God. You're playing a role in it. So play a good one. But it's another thing to be holding the book translated in your hands in the actual last days that they were pointing to and, and to say, we're currently living in the wrapping up scenes of this. Be a part of it. Come. Be a part of the fulfilling of the covenants that God made to Abraham. Be recipients of them. Be a recipient of the rescue and then be called to the rescue team. I just love that Nephi is calling with passion to his brothers. And I feel that same passion calling to each of us. And he ends the chapter explaining like, you know, the vision, but essentially coming back down to that idea of like, we've, we've got two choices. We can be involved. Is that the, the phone? It's just like... It's just, I'm just getting a call. <laughs> it's like, what's happening? We're getting drilled into. But coming back to that, we, we have a choice that we can make. And the good news that if up to this point in your life, you have not cared or you've dwindled in another choice. Again and again and again, we see God will lay out the path for you to be a part of the church of the Lamb, to be a part of the work of the Father, to be a part of the miracle of that all, it can switch that quickly for a person. And that is just thrilling to know. And, and that's and what I have into. in the margins of chapter 15, like right next to like verse 16, 17, 18. I just have written, you are never gone forever. Yeah. You are never going to be lost forever. That's the good news of this story is that God plays the long game. Yeah. And this book is a reminder of that. It will yep. be a reminder of that. And, and we're trying to carry this around everywhere we go. I read somewhere on my Instagram, somebody said that they, someone in their ward said, we get to study a miracle 
this year. And I was so captured by that, that I get to like the existence of this book is a, is a miracle. And the stories in it are of a God of miracles and that you're living in the fulfillment of, of this grand story, like the end, like the wrapping up scenes, like it's such a great time to, to be alive and to experience all of that. And your life can be uh, a, a miracle. You can live out the dream. For OC. Right. To some of the greatest stuff. So anyways, so rad. We'll see you next week for the building of a ship. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.